Chapter eighty of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lafano. Chapter eighty in which two acquaintances become on a sudden marvellously friendly in the churchyard and mr dangerfield smokes a pipe in the brass castle and resolves that the dumb shall speak on sunday mervyn after the good doctor's sermon and benediction wishing to make inquiry of the rector touching the movements of his clerk whose place was provisionally supplied by a corpulent and unctuous mercenary from dublin whose fat presence and panting delivery were in signal contrast with the lank figure and deep cavernous tones of the absent official loitered in the churchyard to allow time for the congregation to disperse and the parson to disrobe and emerge he was reading an epitaph on an expansive black flagstone in the far corner of the churchyard it is still there upon several ancestral members of the family of low who slept beneath in hope as the stone-cutter informed the upper world and musing as sad men will upon the dates and vanities of the record when a thin white hand was lightly laid upon his sleeve from behind and looking round in expectation of seeing the rector's grave simple kindly countenance he beheld instead with a sort of odd thrill the white glittering face of mr paul dangerfield hamlet in the churchyard said the white gentleman with an ambiguous playfulness very like a sneer i'm too old to play horatio but standing at his elbow if the prince permits i have a friendly word or two to say in my own dry way there was in mervyn's nature something that revolted instinctively from the singular person who stood at his shoulder their organizations and appetites were different I suppose, and repellent. Cold and glittering was the gelidus anguis in urba, the churchyard grass, who had lifted his baleful crest close to his ear. There was a slight flush on Hamlet's forehead, and a glimmer of something dangerous in his eye as he glanced on his stark acquaintance. But the feeling was transitory and unreasonable, and he greeted him with a cold and sad civility. I was thinking, Mr. Marvin, said Mr. Dangerfield, politely, of walking up to the tiled house after church to pay my respects and ask the favor of five minutes' discourse with you. And seeing you here, I ventured to present myself. If I can do anything to serve Mr. Dangerfield, began Mervyn. Dangerfield smiled and bowed. He was very courteous but in his smile there was a character of superiority which mervyn felt almost like an insult you mistake me sir i am all gratitude but i don't mean to trouble you further than to ask your attention for two or three minutes i've a thing to tell you sir i am really anxious to serve you i wish i could and tis only that i've recollected since i saw you a circumstance of which possibly you may make some use i'm deeply obliged sir deeply said mervyn eagerly i'm only sir too happy it relates to charles archer 
i've recollected since i saw you a document concerning his death it had a legal bearing of some sort and was signed by at least three gentlemen one was sir philip drayton of drayton hall who was with him at florence in his last illness i may have signed it myself but i don't recollect it was by his express desire to quiet as i remember some proceedings which might have made a noise and compromised his family can you bring to mind the nature of the document why thus much i'm quite sure it began with the certificate of his death and then i think was added a statement at his last request which surprised or perhaps shocked us i only say i think for though i remember that such a statement was solemnly made I can't bring to mind whether it was set out in the writing of which I speak. Only I'm confident it referred to some crime, a confession of something, but for the life of me I can't recollect what. If you could let me know the subject of your suspicion, it might help me. I should never have remembered this occurrence, for instance, had it not been for our meeting t'other day. I can't exactly, in fact at all, bring to mind what the crime was forgery or perjury eh why sir twas this said mervyn and stopped short not knowing how far even this innocent confidence might compromise irons dangerfield his head slightly inclined was disconcertingly silent and attentive i i suspect resumed mervyn i suspect sir "'Twas perjury,' said Mervyn. "'Oh, perjury? "'I see. "'In the matter of his testimony, "'in that distressing prosecution, "'my Lord de Norn, eh?' Mervyn bowed, "'and Dangerfield remained silent and thoughtful "'for a minute or two, and then said, "'I see, sir. "'I think I see. "'But who, then, was the guilty man? "'Who killed Mr. Dam "'What's his name?' the deceased man you know why upon that point sir i should have some hesitation in speaking i can only now say thus much that i am satisfied he charles archer in swearing as he did committed wilful perjury you are oh ho oh this is satisfactory you don't of course mean mere conjecture eh i know not sir how you would call it but tis certainly a feeling fixed in my mind well sir i trust it may prove well founded i wish i had myself a copy of that paper but though i have it not i think i can put you in a way to get it it was addressed i perfectly recollect to the messrs elrington gentlemen attorneys in chancery lane london i remember it because my lord castle mallard employed them eight or nine years afterwards in some law business which recalled the whole matter to my mind before it had quite faded no doubt they have it there twas about a week after his death the date of that you can have from newspapers you'll not mention my name when writing because they mayn't like the trouble of searching and my lord castle mallard would not approve my meddling in other persons affairs even in yours i shan't forget but what if they refuse to seek the paper out make it worth their while in money sir 
and though they may grumble over it i warrant they'll find it sir said mervyn suddenly i cannot thank you half enough this statement should it appear attached as you suppose to the certificate may possibly place me on the track of that lost witness who yet may restore my ruined name and fortunes i thank you sir from my heart i do thank you and he grasped dangerfield's white thin hand in his with a fervour how unlike his cold greeting of only a few minutes before and shook it with an eager cordiality thus across the grave of those old lows did the two shake hands as they had never done before and dangerfield white and glittering and like a frolicsome man entering into a joke wrung his with an exaggerated demonstration and then flung it downward with a sudden jerk as if throwing down a glove the gesture the smile and the suspicion of a scowl had a strange mixture of cordiality banter and defiance and he was laughing a quiet ha 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 and wagging his head he said well i thought twould please you to hear this and anything more i can do or think of is equally at your service so side by side they returned picking their steps among the graves and headstones to the old church porch for a day or two after the storm the temper of our cynical friend of the silver spectacles had suffered perhaps he did not like the news which had reached him since and would have preferred that charles nutter had made good his escape from the gripe of justice the management of lord castle mallard's irish estates had devolved provisionally upon mr dangerfield during the absence of nutter and the coma of his rival and the erect white gentleman before his desk in his elbow chair when after his breakfast about to open the letters and the books relating to this part of his charge used sometimes to grin over his work and jabber to himself his hard scoffs and jibes over the sins and follies of man and the chops and changes of this mortal life but from and after the night of the snowstorm he had contracted a disgust for this part of his labours and he used to curse nutter with remarkable intensity and with an iteration which to a listener who thought that even the best thing may be said too often would have been tiresome perhaps a little occurrence which mr dangerfield himself utterly despised may have had something to do with this bitter temper and gave an unsatisfactory turn to his thoughts it took place on the eventful night of the tempest if some people saw visions that night others dreamed dreams in a midnight storm like this time was when the solemn peal and defiant clang of the holy bells would have rung out confusion through the winged host of the prince of the powers of the air from the heights of the abbey tower everybody has a right to his own opinion on the matter perhaps the prince and his army are no more upon the air on such a night than on any other or that being so they no more hasten their departure by reason of the bells than the eclipse does by reason of the beating of the emperor of china's gongs but this i aver 
whatever the cause upon such nights of storm the sensoria of some men are crossed by such wild variety and succession of images as amounts very nearly to the wall purges of a fever it is not the mere noise other noises won't do it the air to be sure is thin and blood vessels expand and perhaps the brain is pressed upon unduly well i don't know material laws may possibly account for it i can only speak with certainty of the phenomenon i've experienced it and some among those of my friends who have reached that serene period of life in which we con over our ailments register our sensations and place ourselves upon regiments tell me the same story of themselves and this too i know that upon the night in question mr paul dangerfield who was not troubled either with vapours or superstitions as he lay in his green curtained bed in the brass castle had as many dreams flitting over his brain and voices humming and buzzing in his ears as if he had been a poet or a pythoness he had not become like poor sterk before his catastrophe a dreamer of dreams habitually i suppose he did dream the beasts do but his visions never troubled him and i don't think there was one morning in a year on which he could have remembered his last night's dream at the breakfast-table on this particular night however he did dream vidit somnium he thought that sterk was dead and laid out in a sort of state in an open coffin with a great bouquet on his breast something in the continental fashion as he remembered it in the case of a great stern burly ecclesiastic in florence the coffin stood on trestles in the aisle of chapel is a church and of all persons in the world he and charles nutter stood side by side as chief mourners each with a great waxen taper burning in one hand and a white pocket handkerchief in the other now in dreams it sometimes happens that men undergo sensations of awe and even horror such as waking they never know and which the scenery and situation of the dream itself appear inadequate to produce mr paul dangerfield had he been called on to do it would have kept solitary watch in a dead man's chamber and smoked his pipe as serenely as he would in the club-room of the phoenix but here it was different the company were all hooded and silent sitting in rows and there was a dismal sound of distant waters and an indefinable darkness and horror in the air and on a sudden up sat the corpse of sterk and thundered with a shriek a dreadful denunciation and dangerfield started up in his bed aghast and cried charles archer the storm was bellowing and shrieking outside and for some time that grim white gentleman bolt upright in his shirt did not know distinctly in what part of the world or indeed in what world he was so said mr dangerfield soliloquizing charles nutter's alive and in prison and what comes next tis enough to make one believe in the devil almost why wasn't he drowned damn him how did he get himself taken damn him again from the time i came into this unlucky village i smelt danger that accursed beast a corpse 
and a ghost and a prisoner at last well he has been my evil genius if he were drowned or hanged born to be hanged i hope all i want is quiet just quiet but i've a feeling the play's not played out yet he'll give the hangman the slip will he not if i can help it though but caution sir caution life's at stake my life's on the cast the clerk's a wise dog to get out of the way death's walking what a cursed fool i was when i came here and saw those beasts and knew them not to turn back again and leave them to possess their paradise i think i've lost my caution and common sense under some cursed infatuation that handsome insolent wench miss gertrude twould be something to have her and to humble her too but but tis not worth a week in such a neighbourhood now this soliloquy which broke into an actual mutter every here and there occurred at about eleven o'clock a m in the little low parlour of the brass castle that looked out on the wintry river mr dangerfield knew the virtues of tobacco so he charged his pipe and sat grim white and erect by the fire it is not every one that is happy thinking and the knight of the silver spectacles followed out his solitary discourse with his pipe between his lips and saw all sorts of things through the white narcotic smoke it would not do to go off and leave affairs thus a message might follow me eh no i'll stay and see it out quite out sterk barnabas sterk if he came to his speech for five minutes hm we'll see i'll speak with mrs sterk about it we must help him to his speech a prating fellow tis hard he should hold his tongue yes we'll help him to his speech tis in the interest of justice eternal justice ha ha the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth let dr sterk be sworn ha ha magna est veritas and there is nothing hidden that shall not be revealed ha ha let dr sterk be called so the white thin phantom of the spectacles and tobacco pipe sitting upright by the fire amused himself with a solitary banter then he knocked the white ashes out upon the hob stood up with his back to the fire in grim rumination for about a minute at the end of which he unlocked his desk and took forth a letter with a large red seal it was more than two months old by this time and was in fact that letter from the london doctor which he had expected with some impatience it was not very long and standing he read it through and his white face contracted and darkened and grew strangely intense and stern as he did so tis devilish strong ha 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 conclusive indeed he was amused again i've kept it long enough igni reservata and holding it in the tongs he lighted a corner and as the last black fragment of it covered with creeping sparks flew up the chimney he heard the voice of a gentleman halloing in the courtyard 
End of chapter 80. Recording by John Brandon.